right now on Matter of Fact. When baby boomers were young, they rebelled against the status quo and revolutionized TV. With Beverly Hillbillies and Petticoat Junction being replaced by All in the Family and Gomer Pyle being replaced by MASH. How sitcoms of the 70s took the country from comfort to controversy, one half hour at a time. Plus, my father was my hero. A man who defied a presidential order to report to a Japanese internment camp. It's the same old story of you're guilty because you're looking like the enemy. But first, students written off as failures. I don't like asking people to give me stuff. I want to get it for myself. Are the ones this school wants. I want to make sure you understand there is always hope in your life. How a radical idea to reform education is transforming futures. I'm Soledad O'Brien, welcome to Matter of Fact. High school seniors across the country are getting ready to graduate. For many, the future is uncertain. A student zip code often determines their opportunities in life. In Alabama, a first of its kind private school is taking up the challenge of educating kids from a zip code defined by struggle. The high school, Build Up, is founded on a radical idea. It pays students to go to school using money from state tax scholarships, grants, and donations. It places them in after-school jobs to learn construction trades while fixing up rundown houses in their neighborhood. Then, perhaps the biggest incentive, a chance at home ownership if they succeed in school. Our correspondent, Jessica Gomez, takes us to Ensley, a neighborhood in Birmingham, to see the idea at work. More than likely, if you're passing through Ensley for your first time, you'll see a lot of messed up roads, old rundown buildings, a lot of blight in the neighborhood. 19-year-old Tory Washington hitching a ride to work from his mom, passing through the streets of Ensley, Alabama. I feel like this city can be better. On the fringes of Birmingham, glimmers of when it was better. Once a booming steel mill town, Ensley was home to more than 40,000 people. Then the plants moved and there was white flight. About 10% of the population remains today. It's a place that feels forgotten. Usually I go home by 2.30 for my college classes. Tori, a community college student working as an apprentice at a nearby manufacturing plant, is too young to remember those days. But thanks to the high school from which he just graduated, he may get to see them again. It feels like the challenges that we have to overcome are substantial, and they are. It's called Build Up Birmingham, a small private nonprofit high school renting space in a century-old church in the heart of Ensley. Yeah, it was the French Indian Wars. He had two names for it. The school taking in kids from mostly failing Birmingham public schools and helping them catch up academically but also teaching them the trades, focusing on home construction and renovation. See how it just sticks through there? Shop teacher Lisa Cranford blending geometry with things like electrical work and plumbing. When they can use their hands, they can solve the problems faster. <laughs> the school, just three years old, is the brainchild of 40-year-old Dr. Mark Martin, a former inner city school teacher. I just couldn't connect all the pieces to see 
was what I was putting into that day going to result in something that could change a young person's life. Martin's idea to make education pay off for students like those in Ensley. Build up kids most at or below poverty level get paid to come to school, starting at $250 a month. But that also means after school they have to go to work, rehabbing Ensley's dilapidated homes purchased by the school. There you go. Learning alongside industry professionals like Darnell Johnson. They're getting installed doors, they're getting installed painting, they're getting installed windows. So this is their project, this is their home. I helped uh, put in this cabinet. Many of the finished homes rented by the families of build-up students, like Aiden Jones, in need of some stability. Uh, it's a relief without having to worry about uh, where we were going to sleep next. The school following students for up to two years after graduation, finding them paid apprenticeships and helping them get into and stay in college. Did you fill up the second one all the way? When they get their associate's degree or complete two years of a four-year university, students like Aiden can purchase the renovated homes with no money down and a 0% interest loan. They're showing them that for their hard work, they can earn money. They're showing them a skill and home ownership. That's because I can't show them home ownership. I've never owned a home. We really want the students to start their, their early careers with equity in something. Equity, Mark Martin says, that will give graduates a voice in their own community. It's up to us to just empower and equip our young people who are the future leaders of this community to determine what their community needs. I want to make sure you understand there is always hope in your life. We're not going to wait on someone to come in and help us. We're just going to do it for ourselves. And so we're showing our children that you have the skills and you have the power to do this, you know, yourself. Tory Washington harnessing that power. I'm really excited to see how far they've gotten. In just a few weeks, he and his family will get to move in to the latest build-up home. This is your room? Yes, ma'am. For the first time in 19 years, he'll have his own bedroom. How many parents can say they're getting to move into a brand new house because of their child? Not many. It was a fantastic feeling. You know, when I worked for it, I'm really happy. Love you, Mom. In Ensley, Alabama, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. Next on Matter of Fact, her father refused to go to a Japanese internment camp in World War II. It was a, just a simple matter of he thought the government was wrong. And fought his case all the way to the Supreme Court. How she's carrying on the fight for civil rights. And later, the national holiday with roots in West Virginia. Hear the story of the mountain mama who inspired Mother's Day. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and unfortunately, what should be a celebration of diversity is being marred by violence. There's a spike in anti-Asian hate crimes with reports of incidents up 164% in the first quarter of this year compared to 2020. Often the victims are seen as foreigners, as less American. Our history is marked by moments when perceived belonging was challenged. One story from World War II stands out when 23-year-old Californian 
Fred Korematsu refused to get on a bus defying a presidential order allowing the internment of Japanese Americans. It's a story we've asked his daughter, Karen Korematsu, to tell. My father was my hero. He was my example and my shining light, really. My father was Fred Korematsu, who had the landmark Supreme Court case, Korematsu versus United States, regarding the Japanese American incarceration during World War II. Executive Order 9066 was issued by President Roosevelt. That was the order that gave actually the military the authority to forcibly remove anyone of Japanese ancestry from the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California, and Arizona. And they were given just 48 hours notice to report to the detention assembly centers. He was arrested in San Leandro, California. He never blamed anyone for the Japanese American incarceration. It was the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Northern California that visited my father in jail and asked if he'd be willing to fight his case. And Mr. Bessick said, if need be, we'll take it all the way to the Supreme Court. It was a, just a simple matter of he thought the government was wrong and he was right to take a stand. He was standing up as an American, and that is the question, what does it mean to be an American? I think my father was most proud of the fact that his federal conviction was overturned or vacated. It almost took 40 years for that to happen, that he never gave up hope. After my father passed away in, in 2005, then people were looking to me, and at first I was a bit shy, I must admit, but I felt it was my responsibility to, to carry on his legacy. Well, when the lawsuit came up of Trump versus Hawaii, the Muslim ban, then it became the immigration ban. Back in 1942, they called it, you know, military necessity. Now we call it national security. This is the same pattern that the government has used from generation to generation. It's the, the same old story of you're guilty because you're looking like the enemy. And, and that's clearly wrong. My father was an example of working across communities. And that's what we need to do now more than, than ever. The intersectionality of our communities is so important if we're going to make change. You can find stories about the contributions of immigrants, the building of the Transcontinental Railroad, and the impact of the Chinese Exclusion Act all at matteroffact.tv. It's part of the listening tour special to be an American, identity, race, and justice. Coming up on Matter of Fact, All in the Family, MASH, Mary Tyler Moore. How 70s sitcoms turned the country's political debates into storylines. And later, whose idea was Mother's Day? Get the backstory on the holiday with Roots in the Civil War. Welcome back to Matter of Fact. If demography is destiny, we are in the middle of a major political and cultural shift. Younger, more diverse generation is transforming American life. It's not the first time we've seen this. The 1960s, the decade of protest movements, sex, drugs, rock and roll, changed society in profound ways. And the generational conflicts that came with it 
soon played out on big and small screens. In the 1970s, Americans turned into Archie Bunker's weekly tirades against the changing world on All in the Family. They made M.A.S.H., a dramatic comedy about the Korean War, into one of TV's biggest hits. And they welcomed the debut of Sanford and Son and the Jeffersons. Journalist, author, and CNN analyst Ron Brownstein chronicles it all in his book, Rock Me on the Water, the year Los Angeles transformed movies, music, television, and politics. I spoke with him earlier. It's so nice to see you and talk to you. Take us back to 1974, because some people in our audience are too young to know it and yes. remember it. What was happening in 1974 across the cultural landscape? First of all, great to be with you, Soledad. What happened in the early 1970s in television, movies, music, and even the first stirrings in politics was we saw the critiques of American life that emerged during the 1960s, ideas like greater suspicion of business and government, more autonomy for women, more uh, assertion and inclusion of previously marginalized minority groups, different attitudes about families uh, and, and sex and, 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 and you know, living together. All of those ideas began to migrate from the social movements of the 60s into the pop culture uh, in the early 70s and thus become cemented uh, in in the way that Americans live. And you had the transformation of TV with Beverly Hillbillies and Petticoat Junction being replaced by All in the Family and Mary Tyler Moore and Gomer Pyle being replaced by MASH. And 1974 was in many ways the culmination of this process, a hinge point uh, in our culture and thus in our politics as well. What do you think made the networks embrace these, you know, potentially incredibly controversial um, you know, leaving behind what was comfortable and easy and em embracing these things that were, were really groundbreaking and controversial at the same time. What changed was in the late 60s, uh, the need to connect with younger audiences, with the baby boom that was becoming a bigger part of their uh, potential uh, you know, consumer base became irresistible. And, and I tell the story of how two very unlikely revolutionaries, Norman Lear, the creator of All in the Family, and then a guy named Robert Wood, who came out of KNXT in Los Angeles, who was a staunch conservative, a Nixon fan, a Reagan fan, a critic of student demonstrators, and he was the one who put All in the family on the air, and that really is the turning point in television history. Past All in the Family success, we go back to the shows that I grew up watching as a kid, right? Happy Day, right? I mean, what, what happened that you lost that embrace of controversy and trying to get to some of those uncomfortable issues? I think what happened by the mid-70s was two things. One was there was the first stirrings of an organized backlash. I mean, the, the, you know, kind of the first stirrings of what we would call later in the decade, the religious right, uh, mobilize against particularly some of the television shows uh, that are more frank in their treatment of sex and other issues that had been taboo. But it was also a shift uh, in, in the viewing public. The common thread was moving away from addressing the debates of the 60s, which had so animated early 70s popular culture, toward a kind of exhaustion uh, and, a, and, a, and a return to something that was being portrayed as more pure entertainment. If the activism of the 60s plays out in 1974 and beyond, how does the activism of today play out in, I don't know, early 2030, late 2020? Much as you could not turn off the set of social changes brought by the 60s, I don't think you can turn off the set of social changes brought by this generation, by these generations, because uh, the, the scale of the generational uh, uh, turnover is just too large. I believe it is correct that people born after 1981 are already a majority of Americans. They're not a majority of the electorate. They're not a majority of the people running things, um, but they will be. 
I just think it's an irreversible uh, process that culture is ahead of politics in predicting what the country will become, particularly at a moment of generational change. The book is called Rock Me on the Water, 1974, the year Los Angeles transformed movies, music, and politics. Ron Brownstein, always nice to see you. Thanks for joining me. Next, are you anxious about your child getting the COVID vaccine? What the rollout of the polio vaccine can teach us about overcoming hesitancy. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Vaccine hesitancy could slow efforts to end the pandemic. President Biden wants 70% of adults to have at least one shot and 160 million Americans to be fully vaccinated by July 4th. That could be a steep hill to climb, considering how vaccination rates have fallen. The CDC says an average of 2.6 million people were vaccinated each day in the past week. That's down from a peak of 3.4 million shots per day in April. So how do we get past the hesitancy? Let's take a look back to 1952 when 60,000 children were infected with polio and more than 3,000 died. A massive drive to vaccinate children against polio began in 55. Historians say the vaccine had overwhelming public acceptance because Americans had a deep respect for science, even with failures in some rollout. Some batches of the polio vaccine were defective causing 200 cases of paralysis and 10 deaths. Increased quality control efforts and public information campaign kept the vaccinations on track. Now the Biden administration wants to overcome COVID vaccine hesitancy by making it easier to get a shot. That includes walk-in appointments, pop-up clinics, and more local efforts to reach underserved communities. The FDA is expected to clear the way to give the Pfizer vaccine to 12 to 15-year-olds who make up roughly 5% of the U.S. population. Next, it's not all about the flowers and chocolates. Want to know how Mother's Day came to be? I'd like to tell you the story has a happy ending. But you'll have to wait for it. Finally, Happy Mother's Day. It's a national holiday with roots in West Virginia. In the early 1900s, a woman named Anna Jarvis started a campaign for a holiday in memory of her mother, Anne Reeves Jarvis. Her mother was known for her community organizing efforts in the Blue Ridge Mountains. During the Civil War, the elder Jarvis organized care for the wounded soldiers, both Union and Confederate. She started Mother's Friendship Day to bring together veterans from both sides. She also set up Mother's Day work clubs to help families who needed medicine for children stricken with tuberculosis. The proud daughter got her wish when President Woodrow Wilson made the second Sunday in May Mother's Day. So I'd like to tell you the story has a happy ending, but Jarvis later took offense to how commercial the holiday became and asked for its removal from our national celebrations. Now, clearly that didn't happen. But we still want to thank that one mountain mama who inspired this day of gratitude for moms. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'll see you back here next week. If you missed our top stories about a first-of-its-kind high school giving students paid job training and a chance to own a home, a daughter carrying on her father's legacy, how his refusal to go to a Japanese internment camp changed America, a look at 1974, a year that changed politics and pop culture, and lessons from the rollout of the polio vaccine, just go to matteroffact.tv. And 
Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and Pluto. 